0: All right, so we've looked at the content of the gospel and how to make the gospel clear in our testimonies. Last week, we talked about a lifestyle of evangelism, including intentionally praying, preparing, planning, and pursuing meaningful relationships with non-believers in order to share the gospel with them and hopefully, Lord, willing to see them come to faith in Christ. And our aim for today's class is just to equip us and to encourage us to become more faithful personal evangelists by learning how to use UBC in every part of our evangelism. That's the purpose of what we're talking about. After this, we're going to talk about follow-up with non-Christians and believers. What do you do after you share the gospel with someone, and maybe they reject you? Or what do you do if they reject the gospel, but they're still willing to meet? Or if they become a new believer, what do you do next? That's what we're going to talk about at the end. Before we begin, I want to nail down the gospel again. So we can give the gospel in 15 minutes. We can also give the gospel in 60 seconds. If you're a new member, or recently, within, I don't know, the last couple of years, you know that whenever you do a new member interview, you've got to give the gospel in 60 seconds. And so that's where I want to begin this morning. I want to begin by giving the gospel in 60 seconds. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a try. Gospel in 60 seconds, right here. God created everything out of nothing. He is the ruler over all of his creation. He is a loving, a just, and a perfect, holy, merciful God. Yet he also created mankind in his own image. And mankind is created in the image of God, and that means that mankind has worth and dignity and value. And the purpose of creating us so that we may enjoy God forever in a loving, life-giving relationship with Him. However, we rebelled against God. We willfully rebelled against Him. We sought to usurp God's throne, so to speak, and take the crown for ourselves to rule over our own lives. And the result of this is that we are now enemies of God, and we deserve His just judgment of eternal death because we have sinned against Him. However, God didn't just leave us in our sins. Praise God for that. Instead, he showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived. And he died the death that you and I deserved to die. And yet the vindication of everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did was him getting up from the grave. It's the resurrection. All that he said and, he, and all that he did hung in the balance upon his resurrection. And yet, Jesus has commanded everyone, everywhere, no matter who you are, no matter what nation you're from, no matter what background, socioeconomic background that you have, he commanded everyone to repent and believe in the gospel for the forgiveness of sins. And we do this by turning away from our sin, from a life of unbelief, And we trust in Christ as our Lord and our Savior. That's the response. We turn from sin and we trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior to receive forgiveness of sins. And the glorious news is that anyone can have that. Anyone can have this salvation. It's for anyone. Anyone can receive this good news. But what about you? Have you turned from your sin and trusted in Christ? Have you ever made a decision like that? To turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus? And if not, would you want to do that today? Today can be the day of salvation for you. You can turn from your sin and trust in Christ and be forgiven of your sins before God. I think that's what the gospel in 60 seconds can look like. Right? It's Fairly basic. There's a main framework I'm working from right there. God Man, Christ, response. Okay, That's what the gospel can look like in 60 seconds. Any of you can do that. Any of you can share the gospel in 60 seconds. You're going to have to. If you want to become a member, you're going to have to share the gospel in 60 seconds. Anybody can do that. I want to summarize two ways to live. Okay, The six steps for two ways to live. I want to summarize those. So very quickly, I'm not going to go into all the detail that I went into last week. just want to summarize them. First step, God is the creator. You should have a piece of paper there that walks you through uh, these steps. You've also probably got two ways to live track that are back in the back that we've handed out. Take as many as you like. Pass them off to friends. We would love for you to do that. Friends, family members, co-workers. Step one. God is the creator and humanity rules under his authority. Step one. God is creator and humanity rules under his authority. Step two. Humanity rebelled against God wishing to run things its own way. Step two. Humanity rebelled against God Wishing to run things its own way. Step four, actually, step three God judges and will judge humanity for his rebellion, for their rebellion. God judges and will judge humanity for this rebellion. Step four, in his love, God sent Jesus to die as an atoning sacrifice. Step four, in his love, God sent Jesus to die as an atoning sacrifice. Step five, in his power, God raised Jesus to life as ruler and judge. Step five, in his power, God raises Jesus to life as ruler and judge. And then finally, step six, how do we respond? This presents us with a challenge to repent and believe. This presents us with the challenge to repent and believe. And the thing is with Too Lays to Live, they're doing the same framework that you would use for giving the gospel in 60 seconds. God, man, Christ, response. I mean, if you look at this, step one, God. Steps two and three, man. Steps four and five, Christ. Step six, response. That's what they're doing. They're using the same framework. They're just trying to draw it out a little bit more. Uh, to help give us more details. Any questions with any of that before we begin and get into UBC and a culture of evangelism? Any questions before we begin? All right. So, UBC in a culture of evangelism. You should see it there in your handout. That's the first section. UBC in a culture of evangelism. Now, when I say a culture of evangelism, I am talking about how we as Christians who are responsible for sharing the gospel can use UBC and other believers. We can use one another in our evangelistic efforts. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about an, a culture of evangelism, to use UBC in one another in our evangelistic efforts. So we need to develop a culture where we evangelize in community, where we view other members as partners in the gospel with us, to share the gospel with others, and to bring them in, to hear the gospel, and to reach out to neighbors and family and co-workers and friends. However, I think there are three ways that we can often misunderstand Evangelism in community. Three ways that I think that we often misunderstand evangelism in community. Number one, we can misunderstand evangelism in community by thinking that the local church exists to do evangelism for you. That's the first misunderstanding. By thinking that the local church exists to do evangelism for you. As if the pastoral staff are just those who are evangelists for hire. They're the ones who do the evangelism of the church. And the only responsibility of the members is just to bring a non-Christian friend to hear the preacher explain the gospel. I think that's the first misunderstanding. is thinking that the church can just do, those who are pastoral staff or those who are paid staff in the church can do our evangelism for us. That's the first thing. And don't forget. Don't forget what Paul says In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, that Christ has gifted the church with leaders to equip the saints, that is, members of the local church, for the work of the ministry. So that means the saints are to be equipped by the leaders of the church to evangelize the lost. The leaders of the church don't do the evangelism for the members of the church. They equip them to go and to do the ministry. Part of that looks like evangelizing the lost. Second, the way we can misunderstand evangelism in community. Others may think that evangelism should be done away from the church. So as to avoid scaring non-Christians, we just want to share the gospel in personal settings. So as not to kind of bring them into a religious institution. I think that's great. Part of the time, but what we're going to talk about this morning, are the different ways that the church actually proclaims the gospel and the ways that God has already built and ingrained uh, the church's meetings together from the very beginning. Number three. I think this is big. I don't think that we... Yeah. Number three. Confusing evangelism done in community with evangelistic programs. Confusing evangelism in community with evangelistic programs. And so what I mean by evangelistic programs... It's just really the occasional big event that attracts seekers with an exciting speaker or an exciting topic. And understand, I don't think that these are always that bad. They're really not. They can be used strategically occasionally. And I think they can be very good. I mean, even as a college ministry, we have a couple of these throughout the year that we seek to do. where We try to gather in as many people as possible. And then we try to follow up with them. But we have to have a, have, we have to have a strategic plan for follow-up if we're going to have a big event like that. We don't just want to constantly be in the, regular, uh, just in the regular schedule of having big events to do our evangelism for us. Because we can often let the event do our evangelism. Meaning that a lot of people think that, I guess my job, right, that evangelism is done when I just invite somebody in. I recruit somebody to the event. And that's all I needed to do. Well, no, it's great to recruit to the event, but we want to follow up with those people after that event, after the gospel is preached at that event, and begin working through the gospel with them. An example of this uh, that's often given is like is seeing evangelistic programs as like sugar. Think about it. If you eat sugar all the time in your diet, if it's the main ingredient in your diet, you may feel great starting out. Because it tastes great. But over time, if it's the main ingredient in your diet, you are going to be malnourished and unhealthy, and eventually maybe even die because of that. They're great occasionally. They're great occasionally. We don't want the programs to drive our evangelism in this church. Rather, we want the makeup of the church, that is the people of the church. They are the program that Christ has instituted to evangelize the lost. The people are the program that Christ has established to evangelize the lost. And so we want to use the occasional event strategically, remembering, as one author put it, that God did not send an event. He sent his son. He sent his son. I love how Max Stiles puts it in his book on evangelism. In pursuing a healthy culture of evangelism, we don't remake the church for evangelism. Instead, we allow the things that God has already built into the church to To proclaim the gospel. Jesus did not forget the gospel when he built the church. So understand, the local church made up of believers, of us in here, is the gospel made visible. It is the chosen and the best instrument for doing evangelism. How is that? Well, That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about how the local church proclaims the gospel when it gathers. The second thing we're going to look at are ways that we can use the local church's gathering to discuss the gospel with non-Christians. And then finally, I want to talk about how the local church helps us to be more faithful evangelists. Those three things in a culture of evangelism. And then we'll talk about follow-up at the back end of that. So number one, all right? So number one, how the gathering of the church proclaims the gospel. So when we gather as a church... We do it to hold out the gospel to one another. That's what we're doing. We're holding out the gospel to one another, and we're also holding it out to unbelievers as well that come into the church. And so when the local church gathers, I think there are really five things, five ways that we can see the gospel proclaimed whenever the church gathers. The first way is that the gospel is proclaimed. Non-Christians get to hear the gospel preached and proclaimed to them. So the, the church gathers every Sunday to hear the word of God preached. And the pastor is to boldly and clearly proclaim the gospel week in and week out. No matter who steps into the pulpit, you should be confident every Sunday that they're going to preach the gospel, no matter who steps into that pulpit. So, for example, we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verses 23 through 25. Um, Jeff Logan can you read that passage? Yeah. So First Corinthians fourteen, twenty three through twenty five. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disposed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really So we're not going to be going into tongues, gifts of prophecy. However, the context of this passage has to do with spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy. And the vast majority of the way that prophecy is talked about in the Bible is not necessarily about foretelling of a future event. Rather, it's the act of exhorting God's people by preaching to them what God has already said in His Word. And so, often you hear testimonies of people who came to church... As non-Christians, they heard the gospel proclaimed, and God opened their heart to believe in Christ. So whether it's service leading, whether it's scripture reading and prayers, or the preaching of the word, when the local church gathers, non-Christians ought to hear the gospel proclaimed. And you should feel confident to be able to bring them to UBC because you know they're going to hear the gospel week in and week out. Number two, non-Christians can hear the gospel prayed. So not only do we preach the gospel, we pray the gospel. When non-Christians come into the church, they hear prayers that aren't just scripted religious talk or a bunch of just rambling on and on about things, but rather they're heartfelt prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Now there are times when people will go into the pulpit to give a prayer and they will have a script in front of them, but it's because that they've already been working through the passage that was just read. And what the Lord has put upon their heart to pray. And they're wanting to pray that for us corporately. So it's heartfelt. It's meaningful. Right? They don't want to just go off and ramble. They need parameters for that. All right? These non-Christians, they're going to notice how prayers are Christ-centered. How they're God-glorifying. They're fully dependent upon the grace of God in our life as a church. And So when we invite non-Christians to our church services or Bible studies or even over for a meal... We should pray Christ-centered, God-glorifying prayers. And then we need to ask the Lord to use those prayers to convict their hearts to trust in Christ. Third, non-Christians can hear the gospel in songs that we sing. They can hear the gospel in songs that we sing. So one of the sweetest aspects of corporate worship is when Christians gather and sing together. According to the Scriptures, God's people... Should sing both joyfully and truthfully. When non Christians hear God's word, when it, when non Christians hear God's people lifting up praise to God, and the content of those songs is saturated with the gospel, they're hearing something supernatural. They're hearing something. They're hearing what Christ, God has done for us in Christ. And so, when we sing congregationally, we need to sing truths that reflect the gospel that we see in God's word. And praise God that we have staff that care about the lyrics that we put up on Sunday morning. It's not just about a feeling, although those are important, but it's not just about a feeling. We care about the content that goes into the lyrics. Everything in this service on a Sunday morning is going to have a theme that runs throughout it from the passage that we read this morning, such as in Mark chapter 1, 1 through 8. All of it is going to be working together. Guy works hard at that week in and week out. To give you songs, no matter if if it's your favorite song or it's an old hymn, and you're like, oh, I could take that or leave that. It doesn't matter, right? The Lord has provided us years of great music to be able to sing and give worship to Him. And so, praise God for those who seek to put that up week in and week out. Jody, do you mind to read Colossians 3 verse 16 for us? All right, corporate worship teaches us through lyrics in the songs that we sing. That's what it's to do. That's why we want congregational singing and not just putting a band up there to do the singing for us. We want people gathered together singing God's praises, singing the word of God, so that even when unbelievers come in, they're hearing the gospel proclaimed and sung out of our voices. So we should sing songs that are true, and as we do, God can use those gospel-saturated lyrics to convert the lost. I mean, one guy that I used to work with in Louisville actually came to faith in Christ through the lyrics in a song that he was singing one night. People come to faith through that. The Lord will use the gospel, whether it's in song, whether it's being preached, whether it's being prayed, or even talked about with one another. All right, number four. Non Christians can see the gospel signified in baptism and the Lord's Supper. They can see the gospel signified in baptism and the Lord's Supper. So before Christ ascended into heaven, he entrusted two ordinances to the church. Those are you go ahead and you can respond. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? So both baptism and the Lord's Supper are pictures of the gospel. When a non-Christian sees these two ordinances being carried out, they're witnessing a clear picture of what it means to be born again, to obey and to follow Christ. When we baptize, we ask the person that's being baptized to share a testimony of what God has done in their life, about how Christ has intersected their destructive, hell-bound life and redeemed and rescued them from their sin. Everyone in the building is going to hear a story of God's grace in the life of the believer being baptized. And we get to hear Two such testimonies this morning in the service. So everyone in the building will get to hear that. Their baptism will picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. How Jesus' death and his resurrection is our death and our resurrection. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward spiritual reality. That's what it is. And they're going to get to see the gospel on display in that. You can look that up more on baptism in Romans chapter 6. One through four. We won't go there right now. In the same way, the Lord's Supper proclaims the death of Christ until he returns. When a non-Christian comes in, they see the gathered church take the Lord's Supper, they see a picture of what it means to obey and follow Christ. Christians are people who have fellowship with the Lord through the sacrifice of his body and the shedding of his blood. And they partake in the Lord's Supper because Christ commanded us in 1 Corinthians 11.24 to do this in remembrance of him. You can look more uh, into Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen 17 through 24 if you want to go there. We won't go there right now. So by rightly preaching, by rightly teaching and singing and baptizing and serving the Lord's Supper, the church proclaims clearly to the world the line that Christ has drawn between those who are right with Him and those who are not. So non-Christians can see the gospel displayed through baptism and through the Lord's Supper. But lastly, for our first point, non-Christians can see the gospel lived out in our lives. I'm sure many of you have heard uh, of people just complaining about the church. And oftentimes, Christians are accused of being hypocrites who don't practice what they preach. And to some extent, that's, 100%, that's true, right? Because 100% of Christians are sinners. And from time to time, churches and those claiming to represent the church have re- misrepresented Christ to their unbelieving friends. So it's a legitimate complaint. But we also have to recognize... That the church is still one of the best evangelistic tools that you have. Let's look at what Jesus says in John chapter 13, 34 through 35. Brenna Lackey, you mind to read that for us? Okay, Jesus says that by loving one another, we confirm. Our discipleship to Jesus. Love confirms your discipleship to Jesus. And then we come to John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Ed Ray, you mind to read that for us? Okay, so we saw in John 13, 34-35 that loving one another confirms our discipleship to Jesus. And then we look at John 17, and 20-23, through 23, and we see that our unity as a church confirms the deity of Christ. Confirms that Jesus is the Son of God. Unity and truth go together. And so the local church gathering makes the invisible kingdom of Christ visible. It's one of the things that you have to see to believe in the church. You have many people from every tongue, tribe, and nation gathering together to give worship to God. And the world can't explain it when they come in, right? This is the beautiful part of Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, when when Paul talks about supernatural community, so to speak. He talks about unity in diversity. When the world comes in and they see people from different backgrounds, from different stages of life, socioeconomic places of life, they're shocked because they're thinking that person doesn't really go with that person. Why exactly are they meeting again? Because we don't, we're not seeking ministry by similarity. That's not what we're seeking. We don't want that, even though that's good at times. And we're not saying that you shouldn't have deep friendships with people that are in your same stage of life or who are a lot like you. Those are great. But we want it to expand beyond that. We want unity in the midst of diversity, which will end up fostering maturity. In our community. Because when the world steps in, they're thinking, this is not normal. These people don't just go together. And it's a picture of the gospel, of Christ redeeming a people for himself, of from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 13. So what are some other ways that the gathering of the church proclaims the gospel to unbelievers? Question for you all. What are some other ways that the church, the gathering of the church, proclaims the gospel to unbelievers? Other ways that we do this? Okay, benevolence. Great. So expand on that a little bit. Like what would be an example, maybe, benevolence? What that could look like? Okay, helping hands. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Second Mile Ministries does a great job at that. Sharing the gospel and counseling those who come in. What else? Anything else? EJ? Yeah. Good. We're not service. Yeah, the church isn't a service provider, nor are we consumers necessarily as we come in. That's good. What else? Anything else? Other ways that we proclaim the gospel to unbelievers when they come in? Yep. They're going to be confronted with their with a different worldview. That's good. Yeah. Anything else before we move on to point number two? I think to to one yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prayers of confession. That's why they do that. in the scripture reading and prayer. They'll do a prayer of confession often. Yeah. And that's why. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. That's right. That's good. That's a good example. Anything else before we move on to point number two? One of the ways that we seek to do that, I think, is even through, uh, yeah, in serving together with local churches, but even Brad's pastoral prayer, right? There's a, He's going to pray for certain things, for certain categories, each and every single week. And so he's going to be praying for other churches. And I think when an unbeliever steps in, they're going to see a unity in the gospel that we have, and the common bond of Christ with other churches. So there is intentionality in absolutely everything that we do. That's even why on service review on Tuesday mornings, we're going to review everything from that Sunday, even this right here. So, and it's good for us to do that. All right, number two how to use the corporate gathering in our evangelism. How to use the corporate gathering in our evangelism. So we just looked at how the corporate gathering proclaims the gospel and pictures the gospel to unbelievers. I want to talk about three ways that we can use that same gathering in our evangelism. Three ways that we can use our gathering in evangelism. Number one, speak highly of the church when talking about it. When you talk to non-Christians about UBC, talk about the way the Lord has blessed you in and through the relationships and the teaching that you've received at UBC. Sadly, there are so many people, right, from backgrounds where the church has not rightly proclaimed and protected the gospel, uh, where they kind of have a, an allergic reaction to organized religion. And many folks have been hurt by professing Christians and are now cautious to ever even go back to church again. And so, one of the ways that you can help them through that is talking to them about the ways that God has blessed you through the ministry of the local church and the relationships that you have within the local church secondly invite non-Christians to church I think that's one way that we can use the corporate gathering in our evangelism invite them to Sunday morning invite them to church one of the easiest ways that we can do this is to invite people of all different stripes no matter their co-workers family, friends no matter what their background is inviting them in Right. we're not trying to Separate people off. We want anyone to come in. And when we do this, consider a couple of things whenever you're bringing someone in. Number one, set expectations for them. It is a kind thing for you to invite them. And when you invite them, tell them what to expect. Tell them what to expect before they come. Some people can be intimidated in coming to a new place, especially a church. Maybe they haven't been back in a long time. Maybe they feel a lot of guilt. Tell them what to expect. Which will end up helping them to feel more comfortable and prepared as they step into the local church. Secondly, ask for prayer. Ask a few people to be praying for you as you're seeking to do ministry to a neighbor, a coworker, family member, and as you're going to be inviting them in on Sunday morning. And then ask members, third, ask members to meet your non Christian friend. So tell people that you're going to be inviting an unbeliever in and you would love for them to come and introduce themselves to them. Ask other members to come and to meet the person who's an unbeliever that you've brought. Arrange for them to join you maybe after, after the service to lunch somewhere and to begin engaging with them on how they received the, the service. What did you think about the sermon? What did you think about this point? Have you ever considered that before? Right. And then thank them for coming to church with you. Attending a church service can seem like a small step, but yet it is a giant leap for unbelievers. Next, baptisms. If you can choose to bring a friend on a Sunday morning, baptism mornings are great. So, think of those mornings whenever we're doing baptisms. Mornings like this morning, where you can invite people in, where they're going to see the gospel proclaimed and they're going to see it pictured in baptism. They're going to hear people who were once non-Christians give testimonies about what God has done in their life. And yet, God can still do something in their life. God can change their lives just as much as they have changed the lives of those who are giving their testimonies. Number three, big number three overall under point number two. I know subpoints are getting confusing. <laughs> Invite non-Christians to join you and other friends in whatever you're doing. Invite non-Christians to join you. Whether you're having a house party or you're playing some kind of sport, watching a movie or a game, going out to eat... Find ways to invite non-Christians along with you and other members in whatever you're doing. It is wonderful for them to see the gospel lived out among one another, outside of even the local church, but outside of the gathering of the local church. But yet, you're using other believers even within this church to help evangelize them whenever they are being taken outside of the local church, when you're inviting them along with you. One great way I've seen this done... Um, is yeah, you, is a girl in this church who uh, does ministry among internationals often invites other people over whenever she's having international students over, which is a great way to get other members involved in what she's doing and involved in evangelizing the lost, because while she's there, maybe she's not going to talk to the husband or the wife who is there the whole time. But if she invites others, maybe married couples and singles, to come in and to engage these people Well, the desire is that for you to be able to engage in a conversation with the husband and maybe even get his contact and then follow up with him after that. That's just a simple way that we can use one another as a local church to be able to evangelize those that we're reaching out to. That's a good way to use one another. So what are some other ways that we, so this is a question for you all, what are other ways that we can use a local church in our evangelism? Other ideas for this. Other ideas using the local church and our evangelism. All right. Okay. For dinner, inviting them over for dinner? Yeah. Inviting them over for dinner? Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Anything else? Anything else? Other ways that we can use the local church in our evangelism? Yep. That's right. That's a great example. Yeah, that's, that's right. Weddings and funerals. And part of that is even just as a staff and having weddings and funerals here. You got to be sure to guard who is doing the wedding and funeral, and you've got to be able. To, you have to know for sure that the gospel is going to be proclaimed at those weddings and funerals, which I think that we can confidently say that it will be. Yeah, that's a great example. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Christmas and Easter; those are great. Those are great opportunities to do that. Inviting them over for lunch after the service, and those are going to intentionally be evangelistic. Specifically, I mean, well, I mean, every sermon is evangelistic uh, to a certain extent, but even more so on those uh, Christmas mornings or those Christmas sermons, and also Easter sermons. Great example. Anything else before we move on to point number three? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's a great example. So, getting educated from other members, maybe other members have more background in a specific counseling issue that you know you're probably going to deal with going into a meeting with an unbeliever. You can read up on it, talk to them about it, and how to counsel and get counsel through that. That's good. So this is just a side note, if you get invited to hang out with non-Christians and you're concerned that you might be put in a compromising situation or you're going to be tempted maybe to do something, um, take other believers along with you for accountability. Take them along with you. I think that can be helpful uh, if you get yourself in one of those situations. Number three, big number three, how the church encourages faithfulness in evangelism. I think it says to evangelism, yep, that's human error. How the church encourages faithfulness in evangelism. How the church encourages faithfulness in evangelism. So, we've looked at how the church proclaims the gospel and how we can use the gathering of the church for evangelism. Right, now, let's think about how the church encourages us in evangelism. Number one, that is subpoint, under point number three. And, friends, there will only be two, so it will not be long. Number one, the local church provides opportunities for evangelism. Most of our evangelism should flow from our relationships uh, with the non-Christians God has placed around us. But in God's kindness, we can also look in our local church for other opportunities to share. Right? And these are going to look differently uh, depending on what kind of local church that you're in. But the church provides opportunities to help you to evangelize. So a couple of these. right Here at UBC iFriend program through U of A. I find this just crazy that the U of A is sponsoring an evangelistic event for us, an evangelistic opportunity to be able to share the gospel with others. Now, I know there are certain limitations on that, but let me read to you the goal of the iFriend program. The goal of the iFriend program is to connect international students and scholars with the Northwest Arkansas community and U of A students for cultural exchange and development of cross-cultural friendships. This is amazing. (laughs) The U of A is putting on a program for you to be able to engage with an international student, invite them into your home, talk about the differences in Fayetteville, but also you can talk about the differences of your beliefs as well. Praise God for one of these, for this opportunity. Maybe that's a way that you can get involved in reaching out to international students, talking to them about their background, their beliefs, and then talking to them about. Christianity and what Christ and what God has done in your life through Christ. You can learn more about that by talking to Mike and Debbie Ravon, Vicky Fautai, Shirley Lassie. Great people to talk to about those opportunities. So look out for the iFriend program. Courtney Osborne uh, does a great job by letting others know about just meals for internationals. You can talk to Courtney about maybe international meals that they're gonna have at her house. I know she often does bonfires. There are also times wherever she does a, like a hot pot kind of dinner at BCM. You can talk to her about ways that you can get involved with that. You can go on a mission trip, right? It's going to give you opportunities to help missionaries reach out to those in their community. We're about to go to East Asia. We're going to get to do campus evangelism. So you can go on a mission trip where you have opportunity to be able to share the gospel and kind of flex those evangelistic muscles, so to speak, to get some work in that. Grandview Ministry. This is another way that you can evangelize the lost. Right now, we're focusing on the children, but we're, we're wanting to get into those homes as well. We want to minister to the family members, to other family members, to the parents of those children. And so maybe Grandview Ministry is an opportunity for you to be able to get out and to share the gospel, to build relationships with those at Grandview, to share the gospel with them. Next, you have prison ministry with Frank Hannon. Talk to Frank about that. Going and visiting. Uh, visiting inmates, and speaking the gospel into their lives. You can get involved in an an evangelistic book discussion group, which I just sent around. You can sign up for that. Get involved in that. Help us, or actually, yeah, in, in, in that, we actually hold one another accountable to share the gospel with neighbors, coworkers, and friends. There's accountability built into that. Number two. Number two under big point number three. The local church encourages us to evangelize. So another great advantage of doing evangelism in the context of a local church is that we can help one another in our evangelism. We can encourage one another in that. And so I want Mary, will you please read Hebrews 10:24 through 25? Mary Taylor. So one of the ways that we encourage one another all the more as the return of Christ draws near is to encourage one another to evangelize. Hold one another accountable to be able to do that. Okay? That's just another way that we can do that. The church is encouraging one another. You're asking each other, hey, how's that relationship with your neighbor going? How's that relationship with your father or your mother going? You're asking one another about those relationships. So listen carefully right? and hold one another accountable when people are talking about relationships that they have, and seeking to reach out to others uh, around them. So what are some other ways that the church encourages faithfulness in evangelism? Other ways the church encourages faithfulness in evangelism. Do a training like this? Great. Yeah. I think that's right. What else? Yeah. Yeah. I think the Sunday night service is a great opportunity for that. Getting people in front who are seeking to actively reach out to their neighbors and asking you for prayer for them as they're reaching out to their neighbors. More often that we have people talking about evangelism, it becomes part of the overall culture and part of the overall, uh, yeah, culture of the church. And so we wanna do that more often. And if you have times where you've got, yeah, if you have opportunities that you would like for the church to pray for you uh, with, um, as you're reaching out for unbelievers, contact Brad or one of the pastoral staff and ask for prayer in the Sunday night service for that. We want to pray for those things. And we want to highlight those who are seeking to do that. So we want to celebrate that. I think those are other ways. Any other ways before we move on to our final point on follow-up? Any other ways that we can encourage one another in faithfulness and evangelism? All right. Follow-up. Last bit right here. So if you share the gospel with someone... And they don't come to faith. What do you do? What do you do next with them? I want to separate it up with unbelievers. And then if someone does accept Christ, if someone does receive Christ, what do you do with them? What does follow-up look like for them? So if you meet with an unbeliever and you get rejected, just outrightly rejected, like, no, I don't really care to follow Christ. I think you need to ask them if they would still be open to reading the Bible with you and talking about your faith. If they say yes, then ask them that they'd be interested in meeting once a week to read the Bible. You need to ask them that. Because although they reject you, although they reject the gospel, they're rejecting the gospel. Although they reject the gospel, they may be open to continuing to meet to read the Bible with you. And so you want to ask them about that. If they reject reading the Bible and talking about faith, then tell them that you understand and you're grateful for the opportunity to share with them. And if they ever have questions, you're always happy to talk to them. Understand, just because they reject the gospel doesn't mean that you kind of defriend them. No, you want to continue to serve them with the love of Christ and to care for them well, for those that are around you. You want to love them as your neighbor. You don't just want to drop off and be like, okay, I've got to move on now. Okay? You want to continue to invest in them. All right? So you do care about these people, and you want them to know that. Right? That's why you're sharing the gospel with them. One of the most loving things that you can do is sharing the gospel with those who don't know Christ. So, number two. So, we looked at if they reject you. Number two, what to do for unbelievers still interested in meeting up. So, what if they say, yes, I would love to read the Bible with you. You don't want to overcomplicate this. Just get in the Bible with them. So, do an eight-week Mark study uh, from one-to-one Bible reading by David Helm. He has just an eight-week Mark study. Um, going through the book of Mark, and he's got questions for each of those weeks. So meet up with someone and go through each week and just go through the Mark study with them. Get them in the Gospels, which is going to highlight the life and ministry of Jesus. You can find this PDF online. Eight-week Mark study. You can type that in and just say, Eight-week Mark study by David Helm. Great resource. This is what we often use. Uh, Even in college ministry, it's a great resource. So for I'll give you an example. Week one, we're going to be looking at Brad's passage uh, this morning. He's going to be preaching to to us from Mark 1, 1 through 15. Some of the questions that he has on this. How does Mark show us that Jesus is worthy of attention? What witnesses does Mark call upon to introduce Jesus and why? What is the message of Jesus? And how does it draw your attention to him? According to this passage, what does Jesus come to do? And then, what is your own reaction to Jesus after reading this passage? That's what week one looks like. You meet up, you read the passage together. Maybe you just sit down and you write your own answers to each of those questions, or you just ask them those questions. And you begin dialoguing with them as you're reading through Mark together. Great place to go after the Gospels could be Romans, Galatians, Philippians, Talking about justification by faith alone is also wonderful as well. Um, Another approach to that would be going through God, man, Christ response. Just getting in the Gospels and then just asking, what does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about ourselves? What does this teach us about Christ? How are we to respond to this message, to this passage? Um, One of the the things that I did uh, with students in uh, in Louisville, as just follow-up, is going through the seven I am statements and the seven signs or the miracles that Jesus did in the book of John, the front half of the book of John. That's a great way to do that. Just get in those passages and then just ask them, what does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about Christ? And how do we respond to that? All right. So what do you do if you've got a new believer? Right? Don't want to overcomplicate this. Just read the Bible with them for unbelievers. Get them in the Word. You want to point to Jesus Even though they've got tons of questions, yes, you want to help to answer those questions, but you ultimately want to be pointing to Christ. That's why you want to get in the Gospels. You want to read the Bible, and you want to point to Jesus. That's their main issue. If they come to know who Christ is, if they truly believe who Christ is, those other questions that they have are going to to get answered after time. They're going to get answered. All right, so what about a new believer? I think if there's someone that comes to faith in Christ that you've met up with, You've got to go back over the gospel with them. You have to go back over the gospel with them. They need to understand the main points of the gospel. God, man, Christ, response. Take them through that framework. Consider taking them through Greg Gilbert's little book called What is the Gospel? We have copies that we can give to you. That's a wonderful little book, working through that. Campus Outreach, which is just a campus ministry, they've done it. uh, done a great service to the church and having a, a four-week Bible study that answers five important questions about the gospel. It's called the Gospel Grid. They, an, they answer these questions. What is God like? What is God's purpose for man? How does God feel about my sinfulness? And what will God do about my sin? And how does someone receive Christ? Looking at all those questions, helpful. Gospel Grid. After that, I think you take them through their personal testimony. They need to learn how to write out what God has done in their life. So in your, uh, in your handout, in your folded handout, you had a piece of paper that you worked on week one about personal testimony. It's just an outline in giving their personal testimony. That's a great resource. After that, I think you just go through three big categories. Word, prayer, community. So look at them or help teach them about the Word. Walk them through passages on the trustworthiness of God's Word. I'm just going to give you some references right here that you can write down. I can't read them all just due to time. Scripture is breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. 2 Peter 1, verse 21, men spoke from God by the Spirit. We look at the source of inspiration in 2 Timothy and the mode of inspiration. How that inspiration came along in 2 Peter 1. John 17, 17, the Word of God is truth. Psalm 19, 7 through 11, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. Take them to those passages and just meditate on those passages with them. Start out reading a book of the Bible and then do another another gospel, right? Read a gospel, look at another gospel, take them to an epistle. Get them in the Bible with other members in this congregation. That can serve them immensely if they meet up with other members as well with you to read the Bible. I think you can talk about uh, under word, you can still talk about the cost of discipleship. You can take them to Luke nine twenty three and Matthew ten thirty seven through thirty nine. Luke nine twenty three and Matthew ten thirty seven through thirty nine. That there is a cost to following Jesus. Jesus says, "Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me." Right. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life. Will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Take them through cost of discipleship. Look at their position in Christ. You can take them to Romans eight, right? And look at verses one and uh, verses thirty-eight through thirty-nine. David, do you mind to, to read those verses for us? Teaching them that there is now no condemnation for them in Christ. Going to the back half of chapter 8. Teaching them that they are not separated. Nothing can separate them from the love of God in Christ. That will be like a balm of assurance upon their soul when you walk them through that. Prayer. So we looked at word. We looked at prayer. Study Matthew 6, 5-15 through 15, on the purpose and nature of prayer. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 5-15. Purpose and nature of prayer. Challenge them to meet with others and to pray with them, others in the church, and to pray with them. Attend the Sunday night service and pray for the body corporately. Teach them how to pray Scripture. Get Don Whitney's book, Praying the Bible. It's a great place to start. Get them a member directory and then challenge them to pray through one page a day. Right? They don't have to. They don't have to do long prayers. Short prayers for each of the members on that day. One page a day in the member directory. Get them a member directory. Last, community. Word, prayer, community. Bring them to church. Pick them up in order to get them here if they need it. Make sure that they're still under the preaching of the word and under the singing of the word and the praying of the word and that they're hearing that week in and week out. Study the book of Ephesians with them. What a glorious picture of what it's like to understand the importance of the local church and how we are to relate to one another and how that's a display of the gospel and that unity and diversity. And then after observing their growth, sit down with them and walk through what baptism is and that it's biblical to be baptized as a believer. Walk them through Acts. Point to Jesus' baptism. Walk them through those things and have that conversation on baptism. Get Bobby Jameson's little book called Understanding Baptism and just walk them through that. So that they understand the importance of being baptized as a believer out of obedience to Christ. Then finally, talk about the mission of the church. We are to make disciples of all nations. They need to know that. How else would they have heard if no one came to them? It's not to make disciples. So we want to study Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Study Revelation 7, 9 through 13, where all are gathered around the throne of God, giving worship and praise. How does that happen? Because people are out making disciples from Matthew 28. Take them to God's heart for the nations. Look at the covenant God made with Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15. And then how that finds its fulfillment in Galatians 3. Those are just some ways that you can look at with follow-up for a new believer. Okay? There's much that you can do. And many people are going to kind of disagree on where to start. I think that's just a good overall way to begin. Think through those things. Think Rehash the gospel. Personal testimony, and then word, prayer, and community. Okay, I think that's going to be helpful. Any questions with any of that as we close right here? As we close in prayer. Any questions with any of that? All right. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you that you have given us one another. That we can use the church to evangelize the lost. We praise you, Jesus, because you have built the gospel into the church that you have established. And Father, we pray that we would be faithful to use the church and to speak about the local church in a way that honors and glorifies you to speak about how you have blessed us in and through the lives of others to those who are non-Christians. Father, we pray that we would remain faithful to evangelize the lost in personal evangelism and yet in our personal evangelism using the church to speak the gospel into the lives of those who reject Christ. Father, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here for the last three weeks. Uh, it was great to just think about evangelism with you. No way that we could cover everything that we would actually need to cover in an evangelism class but let this just be uh, some good just food for thought for you over the last three weeks of how to begin and look to those next steps in evangelism. So, thanks for being here. If you have questions, please come and ask me. Also, if you've missed any of the weeks or anyone you know that's missed a week just go to ubccollege.com uh, and they can find the audio there. Thanks.